gone and away from home, I, I didn't have a uh, command that we've been looking at, the commands of the Lord. And so there can't be a better place to go than uh, chapter 8 of Romans. If the Bible was pictured as a, as a ring, Romans would be the diamond in the ring, and chapter 8 would be the sparkles, sparkling from that diamond. Chapter 8 begins with no condemnation. There's no condemnation of those in Christ Jesus. In the middle of it, we find that there's no frustration. In verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. And then it ends there in verse 35 with no separation. Chapter 7 of Romans talks about the struggle that's going on between our new nature and our old nature. And how that, that our old fallen sinful flesh tries to dominate our lives. And uh, it ends with the statement there in chapter 7, verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He's saying that back up there in verse 19, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I do not, that I do. If I do that which I would not, it's no more I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And so he's saying the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And he ends with a statement, O wretched man. But when we get to chapter 8, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation in which in Christ Jesus who walked not after the flesh but after the Spirit. It's very interesting as you study these two chapters because chapter 7 has a little personal pronoun I used 34 times. Self. I, 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 I. That I'm going to do it. And you'll find that even after you're saved, that the work of the, uh, the spiritual work is not done in the arm of the flesh. Yeah. And it ends, that chapter that has 34 eyes in it ends, as I said, uh, with oh, wretched men. Just note some of those eyes. Look there in verse 15 of chapter 7. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would... Would that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. And over and over and over, you're going to find that word I, I, I. But when we come to chapter 8, we only find the, the personal pronoun I used twice. And it's used in a very positive sense. In verse 18, he says, For I reckon that the suffering of the present are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 
And then again, it's used in verse 38, the word, the pronoun I. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. But, but what's interesting beyond that, that the, the, the little personal program I is not used, is how many times the uh, word Holy Spirit is used. Um, I can't find my number here, but um, oh, in chapter eight, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is mentioned twenty-one times, and and it's a great chapter of victory. Now, what I want to do is just look at the last the last words of this chapter. If was, the, Paul is being used of the Lord to try to, in every way possible, impress upon us uh, what we have in being saved. And in verse 31, he says, What shall we say then to these things? All that's gone before, the Holy Spirit being mentioned. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we're killed all the day long, we're counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, and all those, these things were more than conquerors for him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, or things present, or things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we have going on here is that Paul has taken us into the uh, courtroom and the questions, does this need to be put down? You can see? Okay. Let's see. There's four questions asked in, um, in this scriptures that we've read. You can see there in verse 31, he says, who can be against us? And then in verse 33, who shall lay the charge? And verse 34, who is he that condemneth? And then in verse 35, who is he that shall separate us? 
And when we go to a courtroom, and we'll, we'll flesh this out more, just introducing here. The courtroom uh, trials are the result of accusations made against another, whether it be civil matters or accusation of crimes against the state. And so the question, when you go into the court, well, who's, who's against us? Who's accusing us? What's the accusation? What's being presented here? What violation has been done? And so the question of the court setting is who can be against us? And then when we get into the courtroom, there's a lawyer that lays out the case against the accused. And thus we have the question, who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who is it that's going to uh, lay out the charges? That's the job of the lawyer. And then it's going to say the condemnation in courtroom trials is a judge, uh, basically when there's no, uh, it's not a jury trial. There's a judge who hears the case and either condemns or quits the one on trial. And that's the question, who is he that condemneth? And then consider the courtroom after the trial. At the conclusion of the trial, the guilty party is separated from society and imprisoned by this jailer. And so the question is asked, who shall separate us? And so let's look at this. In verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? The words here are uh, courtroom words, as we said. And if we think about our lives, there's a lot that could be against us. A lot of people could accuse us. The Lord who keeps records has record after record that accuses us. There's those within our history of life who we've wronged. There's those that we've offended. And there's many that could bring accusation after accusation. But those words all fall into silence when it says, if God's for us, who can be against us? Even the crimes done against him. If we would stand trial without him being there, but God is for us. And because he's for us, no one can stand up against God. It's as though the grand jury has convened. They hear the accusation and the evidence brought against us, and it's all wiped off the docket. And God 
addresses the court and says, I want this world, this, I want this court to know that I am for this man because he's a Christian. And yes, he's done much that's been wrong, but all of that's been paid in full by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so today, as we think about the end of time and the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment, know that we're not going to have to go to the great white throne judgment where people are condemned because God's for us. And I think sometimes we um, get stuck down in our sin and, and overcome and we live there in the molly grubs and, and the muck of sin and we just need to take it to him and confess it, have him to cleanse us. But to know, listen, though, though all the world may seem to be against you, and some of them th thinking rightfully so, in the end, <laughs> the only thing that matters is this, God is for me. Who can be against me? If, God's, if God is for me, then who's going to stand against me. David wrote in the Psalms 40 about his sin. He said, For innumerable evils have compassed me about. My iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I'm not able to look up. There are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart faileth me. And so David, when he's talking about himself, he says, I want to examine my sin and my iniquities. They're more than the number of hairs on my head. I'm, my life is just one that can be a history of iniquity, that, that it's present there. But David went on and said, let us, he said, but I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me, thou art my helper and my deliverer. And so we need to come to understand this morning that God is for us. He is not a God that gives us salvation and then removes it. He's not a God that needs aid in maintaining our everlasting life. He's not a God who promises forgiveness, a home in heaven and a new body, an eternal home only to tell us that that can only be obtained uh, by works. I know for myself, I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 40. I know that oftentimes my vision of God becomes a uh, blurred and his greatness has shrunken or shrunk I don't shrunken's a word and so let's examine here about this one who created the world and us and who says I'm for you Isaiah 40 and verse 18 to whom then will you liken God well, what likeness will you compare unto him? The workman 
melteth a graven image, and goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver set chains, and he that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot, a hardwood tree, and he seeketh unto him cunning workmen to repair graven images that shall not be moved, and so they're making idols. How do we liken God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood the foundation of the world? Have you not understood from the foundation of the world? It is he that setteth upon the circle of the earth, and the heavens thereof are as grasshoppers. They stretches out the heaven as a curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth and he shall blow upon them and they shall wither and the whirlwind shall take them away. To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy God? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, hath created these things that bringeth out the host by number. We have a wonderful opportunity to look up and see the North Star and the Big Dipper and the Northern Lights dancing. And all those stars, it says, he calleth them by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one felleth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speaketh, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings as eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Well, here we are. We're in the great courtroom of, of the universe, and, and accusations are being made against us, and, and one comes out who, who all those that are there are as grasshoppers in his sight. One comes out and says, I am for you. I am for this man. Who wants to stand up against him? Well, he's trying to tell us that uh, if we have Christ as our Savior, and he's our Lord, and he's on our side, then our salvation is secure. God is for us. And because of that, no one can be against us. The case has been dismissed. The second question that we uh, But who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? The word charge there in verse uh, 33, bring charges. 
you know, in the court of law, what, what are you charged with? It's the job of the district attorney or the lawyer to lay out the charges. God is saying, even if a charge is accepted, who would be the lawyer to lay out the charge? And then he says, it is God that justifieth. The word justify is not, not a, an action like adoption or sanctification or regeneration. But the word justified is more of a legal term and it's a, it's a pronouncement that God sees and God has declared that this one that's, that we're talking about, he has been put in a position just as though he's never sinned. That, that the deed has been wiped away. That, 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 that it's been re reversed. <clears throat> Justification has that idea of being declared righteous by God. It's as though he's taken off my old sinful garments and he's put upon me the cloth of righteousness. And so let me kind of make an illustration here if I can. I've lived out my life. I went the way of all men and the great judgment bar of the universe has been convened. And as I am waiting there in the courtroom all of a sudden, the doors bust open and employees for the court roll in on these big dollies, filing cabinet after filing cabinet. And when we find out what's going on, it holds the record of my sinful behavior throughout my life. The lawyer begins to lay out the charges. He opens up one of the files and he says, in October 22nd in 1956, this wretched man openly lied to his mother. And judge, you know the law and the law says all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. In the spring of 1963, he stole a toy from the variety store in Fossil, Oregon. And judge, the law of the universe says thieves shall not inherit the kingdom of God. In his later life, in the 1990s, on numerous occasions, he did not follow your advice to be angry and sin not, but he was angry and he sinned. In September of 2010, he did the worst possible thing he could do. And before the words could be spoken, the judge arises from his throne and he says, Sir, Proceed no further. Recorder, strike all these words from the record. In 1963, 
Mr. Humphrey repented of his sins and placed his faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. And there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so there can be no charges laid against me because of that. Isaiah 50 says, He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they all shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. And so we have no accuser. We have no accusations because God is for us. The lawyer can't lay the charges because God has justified us. And then we come to who, the, who is he that condemneth? It's interesting here when you, we find the wording when he says, who is he that condemneth? Before, who, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Uh, what shall we say to these things? It's more in the plural, but when it comes to verse 34, it's he which implies that it's one specific individual. And we know that the Bible teaches that the judge will be none other than Jesus Christ. Acts 10.42 says Jesus was ordained of God to be the judge. And so who is he that condemneth? Well, that condemnation stands and lies in the hands of Jesus Christ. Now here's the problem. For a judge to be a good judge, he must, uh, he must uphold the law. Often, I, once in a while I see uh, Senator Kennedy from, from Louisiana and he's on the Ways and Means Committee in Congress and he's questioning uh, appointments to the, being judges that Biden's put forth. And, and what has happened is laws have been put on the books and there's a number of judges who refuse to, pros to prosecute certain cases because they, because they have put themselves above the law. Well, how can, how can, how can God, when I, when I gave the first question, who is he that, who is he that accuses or who can lay, who, uh, uh, what shall we say then, if God be for us, who can be against us? How can, what, what is in any fashion right about God, not uh, in this courtroom, God saying, okay, you shut up. We're not going to let you lay your case. Because they have been wronged. Here's, here's someone that, that we have wronged, or here's some accusation that's true, in that we have broken one of the Ten Commandments. And, and so... So, where is the justice in this case that's being presented here? What's right about him saying, 
you know, if God be for us, who can be against us? Or who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect, for as God is for us? Well, well, uh, that almost seems as though it's throwing the law out the door. The law concludes that the wage of sin is death. The soul that sinneth that shall die. And no just, righteous, holy God can let one sin, big or small, go without being paid for. And so here is the, the dilemma. Man's a sinner. Christ is a righteous judge. And so where is the justice when all those files were rolled in and, and they begin to read them and, and after the third accusation, he says, strike it from the record. Get out of here. No one's going to lay any charges to this man. But here it is. The judge now, who is he that condemneth? One is the judge of the world. He's the one that should hold to the truth of the Bible. He's the one that should condemn. And so what does he do? Who is he that condemneth? Well, what he does is this. He comes out from behind the judge's position in the court and comes down to the floor of the court And he says, uh, the wage of sin is death, and I'm going to pay his wage. My songwriter tried to express it this way. I was guilty with nothing to say. And they were coming to take me away. Then I heard a voice from heaven that said, let him go and take me instead. And I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have went to the cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's Son, took my place. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, and risen again. And I've told you before that when we, if thou wilt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe with thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, that's just not a historical belief. But it's a belief that carries with it the idea that I understand that Jesus rose from the dead because he paid the penalty. It's full. When a man gets arrested and he's put in prison for 10 years and five years of probation, and when he goes through all that, he, he's released completely from all obligations because the penalty's been paid. Well, Jesus was released from death because the penalty was paid completely. And death had no more sting. And he, 
he uh, not only, but look at this wonderful verse here, verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, that is rather risen again, who even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. It's not just the future, but even in this life, am I, as I'm living, Christ is there interceding for me at the right hand of God. He, he makes intercession for me. And he tells the Father, it's covered. I took care of it at Calvary. Who in his own self bear our own sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastise of our peace upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then the last question. Who shall separate us? Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine. It's the job of the jailer to take the condemned prisoner and separate him from society. Sometimes imprisonment and sometimes capital punishment. And so the Lord is going to take us on a little journey here where no stone remains unturned and trying to find something that could separate us from him. And so he says here, ask these questions. Shall tribulation, shall the trials that are in our life, the hard times in our life, or distress, helplessly hemmed in, or persecution, when we feel like maybe God has abandoned us, but he told us in Matthew, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and say all matter evil against you, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Or famine, or nakedness, poverty, or peril, or sword. What could, what could remove the Lord from loving us? What's going to separate us from our relationship with Him? As is written, for thy sake we're killed all the day long, we're counted as sheep for the slaughter. And so we suffer for the Lord. Nay, he says, no, these things cannot separate us from God. That once I'm saved, I'm always saved. When I have a relationship with him, it's a permanent relationship. Nay, no, these things are not going to separate me. And he says, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. 
No longer, O wretched man, but we're conquerors. For I am persuaded that neither death, going the six-foot way, is not going to separate us, nor life, anything in this life, nor angels, including fallen angels, nor principalities, powerful, authoritative people, and spiritual beings, nor powers, nor anything present, nor anything to come, nor height, go as high as you want, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Well, what's all this? You know, he, he's trying to get us to understand that if we're the child of God, if we've been born again, that we... <laughs> um, we can't lose. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And so, you know, I've had a hard week and my back hurts and my knees hurt and and I'm growing old and I come to church and I sit over there and songs are sung and they go through my mouth and but they never go through my heart and brain and you know and and I'm, uh, I'm mucking through this life. <laughs> hey, listen. If God be for us, who can be against us? If he declares us justified, I'm justified. We ought to be the happiest people in the world. Listen, I'm going to heaven. No matter, no matter what happens, I'm never going to be pulled away. I'm never going to be taken away from him because I am my beloved's and he is mine and his banner over me is love. All right, look at that. Another miracle. <laughs> you got 10 minutes to goof off.